quite exciting tonight because we're actually going to be introducing, this talk is going to introduce a series of talks that, we're going to, that are going to be sort of dotted through the next couple of months or so. Um, uh, we're going to be looking, uh, focusing on a, on a letter in the Bible, one of the books, called Colossians. So um, would really encourage you over the next few weeks to, to have a read through that. It's just a few chapters long, so you can read it in not too much time, and it's, it's really, really interesting. So do have a look at that. And um, as we go through this letter, we've got this theme that's going to sort of run through everything like a bit of a thread. A thread. Um, so the title of this series is um, The Way In is the way on. And that might come up on the screen behind me in, in a second. I don't know, you may or may not be familiar with that phrase, the way in is the way on. And it's kind of getting off, get, getting across the idea that sometimes the best way forward is the way that you began. You know, when you're onto a good thing, sometimes it's good to continue in that vein rather than try and mix it up too much. Um, if you, anybody grew up um, in the 80s, I'm sure you'll remember that uh, most of us had one of these things that would come up on the screen, um, a Sinclair Spectrum. This was one of the biggest inventions of the decade. But if you remember the follow-up, the guy, guy who made it, Clive Sinclair, his follow-up invention, this thing, was one of the decade's biggest flops. Clive should have stuck to the old computers. But I think there's something in this tendency to always sort of like try and move things on and perhaps curiosity and try and create, make things more complex that's sort of part of our part of our nature but sometimes it's best to stick with a winning formula sometimes if it ain't broke don't fix it um, the, the philosopher Confucius said life is really simple but we insist on making it complicated or uh, another great philosopher Homer Simpson he he posed the question if God needs money why doesn't he just write another Bible? The old ones seem to sell pretty well. That's a good point, right? <laughs> so, sometimes it's best to stick with a winning formula. So what has this got to do with, you know, trying to follow Jesus? Well, if we were to just take a moment to reflect on all of the different people in this room for a moment, all of, all of the different stories that, that each of us have, each of us have this sort of journey of getting to know Jesus, that will be slightly different. Some, some people in the room have probably been following Jesus for years, others maybe just a few days. Others are perhaps still trying to figure out what they believe about Christianity, about Jesus. But the amazing thing is that for every single person who would call themselves a follower of Jesus in this room, and in fact in the planet, on the planet, so you know, all two billion of us, on that journey there is one common point that we've all been past. There's one stretch of path along which we've all walked, and it happens to be right at the start of the journey. As we came before the cross, and we encountered Jesus there, and we gave our life to him. Jesus talked about himself as, as the gate through which we must pass to start our journey of following him and following his ways. And so that's the way in to our journey, which we've all, um, all of us who are following Jesus, we've all been through that same way in as we acknowledged, you're God, I'm not. And we found ourselves in awe of his grace and his mercy that we found there. But the unique thing about the Christian journey is that that, that moment, the way in, when we encounter the cross, it doesn't just define the way the journey starts, it also continues to define the nature of the journey throughout the entire journey. Every moment of every day, every step. Jesus told us 
He's recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, saying, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So this, the cross is, a, is an ever-present, dominating landmark of our daily walk with Jesus. It's the way in, but it's also the way on. That phrase, um, it was coined first by uh, this chap called John Wimber, who, um, this is a vineyard church, and he, he really led the vineyard movement from its infancy. Um, and and, and the, way in is, the, way on is, the Way In is the Way On is the title of, of one of his books where it's got a collection of his um, writings. And in that, he, he explains this concept. He said, simply put, Christianity is a life of revelation in which you see yourself as limited and God as unlimited. We have this continual need of God's complete purity. I came to Christ because I needed forgiveness and I continue to in Christ needing forgiveness. The way in is the way on. I think he, he captured and he explained this idea really well, but, but others through church history have, have tried to express a similar thing. The famous Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said, begin as you mean to go on and go on as you began and let the Lord be all in all to you. And I think this kind of notion is a bit of an encouragement that we also get from the Bible. In um, the letter of Colossians that we're going to be looking at, um, a little uh, nugget, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, says this. It's really interesting. Um, so then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So before we get too far into this, I, I, I just would love to make this thing a little bit personal. I just want you to, to stop for a moment um, and just reflect and think about you know, when I mention the cross, when I mention Jesus on the cross, what kind of emotions, what kind of words does that spring up in your mind? Just reflect on that for a second. I did this little exercise myself and the sort of words that sprung to my mind were words like these, like surrender, awe and thankfulness, this feeling of being cleansed and reborn. And, and so those kind of feelings, emotions, those define the way I came into this, but they also define the nature of the way on for every day of my journey with Jesus. As you see, they're just repeated there. So as we um, work our way through this book of Colossians over the next few weeks, um, this thread is going to be present in, in, in the talks. Uh, it will run through the entire series. Um, but I guess before we also start reading it, one of the things that would, that, that would be helpful to do tonight is to just spend a little bit of time looking at some of the context of this Bible book, this letter called Colossians, like who wrote it, why is it in the Bible? And so we're going to do that briefly. If you've got a Bible, it might help to, to find it, just find the book of Colossians. It's little tip, it's with all the other Ians, all the, books that end, all the books that end Ians in the Bible, they're all clumped together, and so Colossians in there, it's got, where is it, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians Colossians. Um, so pretty much everybody um, agrees, seems to think that this letter called Colossians was written by a chap called Paul. Um, and what's interesting is that he'd never actually been to the place Colossi that he was writing the letter to, um, but he was partly responsible for the, for the church that was there because he had been sharing the good news about Jesus in this place quite near to there called Ephesus, and this guy had heard him, and he had taken that message back to his hometown of Colossi and started a church there. 
a few years on, um, sort of around about sort of AD 60-ish, um, uh, Paul hears about this church and he hears about some of the stuff that's going on there and he decides to write a letter to them to, to encourage them and to also help to sort of give them a bit of advice about some of the issues that they were facing. And um, it, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting the way he kind of like addresses some of the issues that are going on specifically for them. Um, but also another bit of background information is that he probably wrote this letter about the same time as another couple of books, Ephesians and Philemon, because we, we gather that they were sort of sent together um, and distributed around a lot of the local churches at the time. So those two are worth having a read over the next few weeks as well. Um, but as I say, the letter of Colossians was sent to address some of the issues that were specifically going on in that place. And it was quite an interesting place. It was a real, um, it was on a bit of a trade route. It was a, a melting pot of different cultures. There were Greek people there. There were Jewish people. There were the um, Phrygians, which is like modern day Turkey. And each of these different people groups had their own heritage, their own culture, and their own customs. Um, but rather than me sort of explain all about that, I thought what would be um, a little bit more um, interesting and also maybe a little bit more entertaining, would be to, to hear some of this context from um, a special guest tonight. Um, we've got all the way from, from AD 60, the local representative from Ancient World Holidays, and our tour guide, guide for today. Let's welcome Faustina. Faustina at Ancient World Holidays, where we find the place and you can get lost. <laughs> Finding the right holiday means the world to us, so if you're tired of roaming around Rome, bored of the Babylonian buzz, or just done with dawdling around the Dead Sea, why not consider a break in the wonderful city of Colossae? <laughs> Situated in modern-day Turkey, in the heart of Lycus Valley, just a short trip from Ephesus, Laodicea, and Herapolis, this charming destination offers the sounds, tastes, and smells of a truly cosmopolitan city. <laughs> Colossi has a range of cultures, with thriving Jewish, Greek, and local populations. Yet, as a Roman province, it also has all the familiar comforts that will help Roman holidaymakers feel at home. No need to exchange your money. Your sestari will go a long way here. <laughs> next picture, please. Ah! Oh, <laughs> not quite sure how that got there. Uh, next picture, please. <laughs> there we go. Situated along River Lycus, the city benefits from passing trade routes and is a great place to pick up a souvenir or a holiday memento, such as some local quality dyed wool known as Colossinus, some livestock, or a new slave. During your break, you may want to take in a show at the local theatre, visit the spa town of Herapolis, or go on a camelback day trip to nearby Laodicea. For those of you with a sense of adventure, you may want to take a trek to Mount Cadmus, or just mooch around and visit the many familiar Roman places of worship. We have um, Jewish and pagan temples and a whole range of mystic cults. And if it's your cup of tea, Colossae even has one of those trendy new churches based in a warehouse called 
the Christians. Recent rumors that the city is prone to earthquakes, and we're confident that these are just rumors, and we do not expect the city to be devastated around AD 60 by a terrible earthquake, have resulted in big reductions to many of our package deals. So, it's never been cheaper to visit this wonderful destination. So, if you're looking for a cultural, affordable, and averagely safe holiday this year, why not travel with Ancient World Holidays to Colossi? Thank you for your time. I thought that'd be a little bit more engaging than me just talking about it. So this church that had started there, they had um, come to faith in Jesus just a few years after Jesus had walked on earth. Um, they had um, been born again. They were first-generation believers. And they hadn't inherited that faith from anybody else. And so they were trying to work out how to live in light of this, this message that they'd heard. And it was a real challenge for them. You can imagine they didn't have the Bible, as we know it, didn't exist at the time. The Gospels hadn't been written. They had just heard um, accounts from people who'd been there uh, who, of, of how Jesus had, had died and then rose again and how if we wanted to follow him, um, we could have a new life in him. And they'd responded to that message of the gospel and they'd chosen to follow Jesus. But then there was a whole load of sort of confusion really about, about what should life look like now. And so naturally they were looking at you know, how, they, how they had lived up until that point and they were asking, you know, what, what, what are we supposed to do? How, what are the things that we need to change about our lives? And if you've come to faith uh, recently, or if you, if you remember this point when you came to faith, you might remember this feeling yourself, where you start to ask, you know, what are the things about my life that I need to change now? And what are the things that I can retain? And what are the things that define who I really am? Um, what are the things that define sort of who I used to be? And what are the things that I'm becoming? You know, I remember doing this when I came to faith and asking questions like, you know, so does this mean I change what sort of teleprograms I watch or does it affect what I wear or how I speak and so on and so on. And so for the church in Clossy, that's exactly where they were at. And it was a real big challenge for them because each of these different cultural groups brought their own set of, um, of behaviors, of, of old habits really, if you like, and customs to the party. And there was a bit of adjusting to do. And one thing that I'm sure you could all resonate with is that when you've got old habits, especially ones that you've had since a child, they tend to be hard to shake if you want to. Um, for example, just to illustrate how old habits can really get stuck in there, um, I've got a bit of a packed lunch here um, that we picked up from the cafe earlier on today. It's a really good deal if you're six. And um, so you've got your, um, your, your crisps in there, your pom bears, um, you've got your, your, your juice, um, you've got, oh, it was a penguin this morning, but we've got the Rocky Bar, um, and we've got a sandwich. Now, um, if you were going to eat this packed lunch, what's the first thing that you eat? The sandwiches, isn't it? It's, it's, don't, even, don't even think about touching the Rocky Bar. <laughs> don't, even don't even look about the Pom Bears until you finish the sandwiches. That's the, way, that's the way we roll, isn't it? I mean, like growing up, I don't know what would happen like if I ever ate my sandwiches other than first, because like, I'm just too scared to even try that. It's ingrained within me. But the thing is, whilst this habit, and it is really just a habit, is, is, is important to, to, to me, um, 
it's not my place to impose it on other people, is it? I mean, I can impose it on my kids, but if, if you went to the cafe and you bought one of the amazing paninis that they've got there, and you know, you bought some of the posh crisps as well, and you just opened the crisps and you're just about to have one, and then I came over and just wrenched it out of your hands, and I was like, what are you playing at? <laughs> Eat the panini first. I would be slightly out of order, slightly, because I guess I would have failed to have realized that actually something has changed since we were children. We are now adults, and we're free to choose what order we eat our packed lunch. And so I guess, in a sense, that was a little bit, it's a little bit like how the church in Colossae was at the time. They, they hadn't fully realized that when they chose to follow Jesus, something had changed. They had made a, a transition, and they had been liberated from some of the rules that they had grown up with. Um, and so, for example, the Christians in the church who'd grown up in a, in a Jewish background, they were insisting that all these old laws that they'd grown up with, like rules about eating and drinking, what was clean and what was unclean, they, they were telling everybody that those rules were still really, really important and vital. Um, and one, one big example was, was the Jewish people, for, as God's nation, for thousands of years, they, they practiced um, circumcision. Um, so when children were born, um, they would have a, a, you know, a celebration. Like this morning, we had one of these. We had five children, six children, I think it was, up the front who were getting dedicated. And we were celebrating together that they were being added to God's family. And so they would do that, but they would just sort of combine it with a, with a minor operation as well at the same time. And this ceremonial act was something that they, you know, it was really important to them. It was part of their national identity and also their identity as God's people. And so they started to impose it on people who were coming to faith. And that's quite a thing to impose on a person, isn't it? Can you imagine like you know, the post-alpha small group dropping that bombshell in there? That would be quite a big deal. So as this church was looking and trying to figure out how to live out their faith and which rules to keep and which ones to retire, Paul, he, he wrote them this letter. And he gave them some really valuable insight and advice. And one bit of advice that I think, sort of one way of saying it, is that I think he, he encouraged them to, to look back, to reflect back to the point where they came into this journey, to the point where everything changed. And so he kind of highlights the difference between before and after. Like, for example, in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins or again in in in, in verse uh, one uh, sorry chapter one verse 21 it says and you you were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him paul's helping them to understand there's been this sort of seismic shift in your life. Through the cross, you have found your way in to a totally different landscape, to a totally new life. And so what that means is that some of your, some of your old ways, some of your old habits, they're, they're no longer helpful, and some of them are no longer relevant. Some of them, they just don't belong in your future. And so um, he, he kind of makes that point. And specifically on the topic of, of circumcision, he goes into a bit of detail, um, which you'll be glad to know I'll spare you that detail, but he kind of explains why that custom is no longer necessary for God's people to define themselves. 
And he kind of concludes in chapter 2 by really landing and explicitly driving this point home. He says, uh, chapter 2, verse 16, So therefore, do not let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a, mo- a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These, it's all these rules and stuff, they're the shadow of things that were to come. And the reality, however, is found in Christ. Paul was using this letter, I think, to to help this church, this fledgling church, come, sort of appreciate the most liberating truth that as followers of Jesus, it's not about keeping rules. It's not about rules, rules, rules. It's about living with a new identity and living in, in, in acknowledgement of this life-shatteringly transformational reality that as followers of him, we're, we're born again. We're a new creation God doesn't love us any, any more or less based on how well we can keep all these rules, how, how good we are at being religious, whether we eat our sandwiches first or last. The thing that he loves is just us because we're his children and the thing that he cares about is whether we want to know him. And I think that, in essence, that piece of advice is, is just as relevant and as valuable to us today as it was back then. Because today, it's similar. People, people um, encounter Jesus as they encounter the message of the gospel. And they come to him, you know, like the prodigal son in the story. They're broken, they're hurt, they're tired and weary of living their own way. And they come before Jesus and they yield and they acknowledge, I surrender to you as my Lord and my Savior. And the job of the church at that point is to welcome them in, to love them, to accept them, to provide a safe environment where where they can grow and where the, the Holy Spirit through his presence in their heart, can start to transform them from the inside out. And we need to be careful as we do that job of just welcoming people into that and helping them with that journey. We need to be careful not to just then suddenly dump them with all these extra rules and expectations before they've barely got through the door. You know, and I think that's something that perhaps the church has been a little bit guilty of in the past, that people feel like they've got to start behaving away before they even come in the door. Or when they come to faith, we're like, oh yeah, it's great that you're a Christian, awesome, Jesus loves you, your sins are paid for, but just to seal the deal, it'd be great if you could now grow a hipster beard and get some skinny jeans and learn to play the guitar and get a fish sticker for your car as well. <laughs> and, you know, we kind of love because we know that that's not, what, that's not what being a Christian is about. It's not about rules, rules, rules and behaviors, behaviors, but it's about a relationship with Jesus. But the thing is, I think a lot of the people outside, they don't necessarily know that yet. So for those of us who are here today who are part of this church, I think this letter in Colossians, um, as we read it over the next um, few weeks, I think it it will give us a bit of an opportunity to do a bit of self-reflecting in regard to this and ask the type of questions like, are those on the fringe of this who are looking towards this from the outside in, what are they seeing? And what are we communicating about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Because I think one of the things that I've picked up is that I think a lot of people, the reason that they feel a bit hesitant about coming to church is because they, they don't feel like they're good enough. They don't feel like they're you know, qualified, that they need to kind of meet some sort of religious expectations before they can find their way in. And in the vineyard, Part of our heritage is that we've always tried to, to dismantle that notion. We've, we've always tried to do everything to, to clear away any sort of religiosity that would stop people from coming through the door. We want to clear that way to make people able to find their way in. But that is something that we need to be intentional about continuing to do all the time so that people can really feel 
they can come as they are. To keep on asking that question. So to those who are looking at this from the outside in, what do they see? Can they see the difference between what really matters, the essential message of the, of the gospel, the forgiveness and rebirth, rebirth that's available to them as they encounter the cross of Jesus, the way in? Can they see the difference between that and all the other stuff we do? I think this affects us as a church, but it's also relevant for us as individuals as we try and live out our own faith on, a, on an individual level. It prompts us to ask questions like, how do my neighbours know that I'm a Christian? Do they, is it because they recognise um, just this, this message of hope and redemption that I just carry around with me as the soundtrack of my life, or is it just simply because I've got a fish car sticker? Or my colleagues at work, how, what do they know about this? What do your colleagues know about this place, your church? Do they, do they just hear about this place that you come on a Sunday and just do a bunch of stuff? Or are they intrigued by the stories of redemption where people's lives are being transformed that they keep hearing about? You know, maybe you are here and you are one of those people that I'm talking about. You're sort of very much on the fringe of this. Perhaps you're visiting Perhaps you've been coming for just a few times, but you're sort of like looking on and trying to figure out if this is for you. And if that's you, you may be familiar with this feeling of a little bit of anxiety on the way here, where you're like, oh man, I hope I wear the right clothes, whatever you're supposed to wear there, and I hope I don't blurt out the wrong thing, and I hope I know the words to the songs, and I hope I know when to stand up and when to sit down, and when we have a really long sort of pause, quiet bit, what is that all about? I'm like, you know, should I blurt something out like everybody else, or what's the rules? And if that's you, please know that, that we just love the fact that you're here. Jesus loves the fact that you're here. And stuff like that, how you dress, what you say, whether you know the words to the songs, all that stuff, don't stress about it too much because, because we don't. I mean, you can see I don't really stress about what clothes I wear. Jesus invites you, and we do too, to come as you are. And if someday you choose, actually, you want to follow him um, and give your life to him, where there are bits of your life areas of your life that kind of need to change, old habits that you need to leave behind. He'll, he'll help you do that. He'll help you get there um, at a pace that's, that's right for you and right for him. And, 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 and the way that he does that is that he, he, he does it so gently. And we know that because that's how he does it for all of us. He's doing it for all of us all the time, encouraging us through the presence of his spirit in our heart and also um, through our church family. He, he uses each other to help us on this journey. And the other thing that I think he does is he, he gives us this book to help us. He gives us this book to, to, to help transform us as we read it and engage with it. And so as you read on through this letter in Colossians, it does actually get to that point as well where Paul starts to, starts to say, and you know what? If you're gonna follow Jesus, there are some habits that you actually wanna start thinking about leaving behind. Um, so in chapter three, he gets to this point where he says, so put to death, therefore, what's, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And this is in light of all the stuff that I've said before. He's saying, if you want to start continuing, these are the things that you want to leave behind. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these two, you once walked. This is your old self when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't, don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. And I realize that as I'm reading that list, it sounds quite direct, it's quite full on that little bit, isn't it? And it might, you know, it sounds quite direct, but I think what Paul was, was doing there was he, was, he was reminding the church that, that something had changed, 
that there was a threshold that they had that they had gone past he was reminding them you know you know the way you came into this journey the cross at that moment that was the moment where you where you decided to leave those things behind you and so he encourages them to revisit it and then he urges them to continue on in light of that and of course in, in as we try and do that we all know or probably many of us know that that's not an easy thing to do is it it's not easy to change but the amazing thing about god is that he's so patient and he's so gentle as he helps us to do this and he's amazingly effective too like every time we do a baptism service here we see, we hear these stories you know susie said there's a baptism coming up in a couple of weeks such a great evening to come along to and hear those stories such a great thing to invite friends along to time after time these stories of people who's who say you know before i met jesus i was doing this i was doing that i had this destructive habit i i, I had an, an addiction i had this attitude about this thing i was an angry person i had this problem with money and time and time again we hear how lives are being transformed you know i think about stories like that i think about a, a friend of mine uh, john who 15 years ago his life was a, a mess of anger violence and gambling addiction um, and I, I, sent, I sent him a text to just check it would be okay to share this and he was like yeah that's fine and, and, and while you're doing it don't forget that I had a crazy drug habit as well and I was like okay I'll say that but in his um in his brokenness he found his way into relationship with Jesus and and now you know he's still like all of us he's still you know a broken person he's still a work in progress he's still all those things that we that we described about the cross you know he's humble He's in need of God's forgiveness day in, day out in different ways. But through Jesus, amazing things have happened. He said, 15 years later, I'm completely out of that life because of the forgiveness from the past, the freedom for today, and the hope for the future. That's my, that, that's my King Jesus brings. Boom, he said. Today, he's a, a strong, inspiring follower of Jesus, a wonderful husband, a wonderful father, um, and he helps lead a, a, an amazing vineyard church down south. Think about stories like that. Or another mate of mine who, um, he's from this church family here, and again, similar amount of time ago, he took his family to the brink. Um, through, he, had a, he, was, he had this hidden life. He was cheating on his wife. He was throwing away all their money, got into debt with secret addictions. And the situation was totally hopeless. But somehow, he found his way towards the cross. And now... A restored marriage, a stable family, amazing guy, just part of this church family, all because he found his way to the cross and he continued the way he came in. Now, maybe in your own life, you need some kind of turnaround like that. You need to find your way in, and you're looking for it right now. Maybe um, as you reflect back, just looking at your journey, you can see, I think we probably all would recognize the way some of our past behaviors and bad habits, they've we've managed to leave them behind and it's through Jesus that we've done that some of the stuff that we used to do when we think when we thought the world revolved around us and Jesus has helped us to put it in perspective and for some of us it will be more or less dramatic than others but it is a work in progress and it isn't always straightforward is it if you've ever had some kind of, you know, addiction or, or, or behavior that's, you know, just unhelpful for you, you'll know that those kind of things, they're, they're hard to shake off. They are always trying to break into your present, break into your now. We all have old behaviors and we all have weak moments and we all have slip-ups. But that's the reason 
that we always need to find our way back to the cross. We need to keep on revisiting that landmark the way we came into this journey. We keep on going back to the, to the moment where we decided to leave those things behind, to that place of surrender, to that place of, of humility, asking for God's grace, asking for his forgiveness, asking for his strength to move on. And the thing is, he's, he's, he's got that. He's, he's got it for us every time we go there. As we remind ourselves that the way in, the way we came into this, is the way on. No matter how mature we get in our faith, no matter how much we learn about the Bible, we never quite get over this. Not this side of heaven, it's something that's for all of us. It's a daily discipline, recalibrating who we are and who our identity is in Jesus. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna look at different themes within this letter of Colossians. Um, it won't be every week, um, sort of like in, 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 follow, in sequence, but it'll be sort of dotted through the term. And there'll be different things that we look at, but but we will keep on coming back to this simple but unfathomable concept. And I thought to finish tonight, it would be great for us as individuals to just reflect on, on this a little bit. To reflect on, on where we came to meet Jesus for the first time. You know, for some of you, you may not have ever had that point where you, you know, you, you're still figuring out what you believe and you haven't yet sort of chosen to follow Jesus. Um, and if that's you, um, what we're about to do now, just encourage you to just engage with this as much or as little as you feel comfortable. But what I wanted to do was just take you back in your mind to that moment where you started following Jesus. And perhaps to do this, just to focus on it, if you're okay with it, it'd be great if, you, if you're able, just stand. Let's just stand together for, for a few moments. And we'll just initially just have a bit of quiet just to, just to relax. And I think Tom's coming up in a minute as well. And so remember, maybe close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing that. And remember the point where you decided to follow Jesus. You know, and even for you, if it was a gradual thing over years, even if it was something that happened to you as a child, think of a time when you realized what he meant to you. Remember how it felt the first time you looked at the cross and realized that you could be free from all your baggage, all your sins there. You could come into his embrace and be, be reborn and start a new life, start a clean slate with him. Remember that moment and how it felt. And in that moment, let's just welcome the Holy Spirit to come and remind us of his grace and fill us with it. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's reflect on that feeling. And let's encourage one another through our spirit that that, that way in, that moment, is, is the way on for us. We'll just, we'll just wait here for a moment and before we do that, I'll, I'll just read that verse again from Colossians. Just then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that as we meet you at the cross, you give us the strength to take the next step. You give us the grace to be unhindered from our past. And you give us your power to be a witness to others. Fill us afresh with those things, Lord.